We've been in this series, this is our seventh week. We're concluding tonight. It's over. We're done. And you know how this group is run. This is an interactive forum. You're allowed to jump in at any time and ask questions, raise your hand, you can disagree. But tonight, I'm going to ask you to do something just a little bit different. Because we're concluding, and because of the subject matter that we're going to dive into tonight, I'm going to let you sit back a little bit, maybe, and listen tonight. Because the best way to conclude all of the things we've talked about is for you to hear from some of the other people that we've been researching what they have to say about the church. So let's go forward. This is where we've been. We've been looking at how non-Christians view Christianity, and we've walked through a lot of criticism of the church. You see the criticism here, and last week we did the big reviews. So we went through all the different criticisms last week that we've covered. So if you want to track some of those, all of them are now online. You can download the talks, but they're basically up here. Christians are too sheltered, hypocritical, judgmental, too political, anti-homosexual, arrogant, fundamentalist, too focused on decisions for salvation. And all of those came from the books that we've been tracking and researching at the same time. David Kinnaman's Unchristian, Dan Kimball's They Like Jesus But Not the Church, and Jim and Casper Go to Church. But that's where we've been. Tonight, I want you to start thinking about what people say back to us. And if you want to, since we're in a little bit of a listening posture tonight, if you feel like it, I'm going to leave these cards. I'm going to pass them out. You don't have to write anything on them, but if you want to take notes or want to write some of this stuff down, you can, just because some of you may not have brought anything. This is more of just if you want to jot something down that strikes you, because I'm going to be reading to you some things that people want to say to the church. And I want us to listen, to hear, since we've put out our own opinions for six or seven weeks, time for us to hear from them. Last week, I asked you this question. If you could redesign the church anyway, after all the criticism that we've read, and all the surveys and all the statistics that have been done by the Barna Group, how would you redesign the church? What would you do? What would be different? And here are some of the things that you said. Just to review, here's some of the ones that we said from last week. Make churches smaller. No more megachurches was one suggestion. Remember, these are just opinions. Some of them are going to contradict because some of you didn't agree. Spend less money on physical structures. Make church interactive so people can discuss and talk back. Have churches cooperate together. Churches should specialize in certain areas and refer each other. I want to stop and just say something about this one. This is brilliant because it's never been done. Okay? You know that most churches exist for the sole purpose sometimes of something that they've defined in and of themselves. And I think it was AJ that mentioned this one last week. That, wow, wouldn't it be great if churches actually figured out what they specialized in and then worked with other churches and said, you know what, this is kind of our area. If we meet people that are more in your area, we'll send them over to you. Wow, wouldn't that be a concept? Instead of competing for every single person to judge their growth and their impact by numbers. Somebody suggested that we agree on a core set of values, kind of a definition of who the church is or what it is. And I think this comment came out of the frustration that we've seen so much because people disagree all the time and they're pointing fingers about who's a Christian, who's not. Wouldn't it be great to come up with like, here's the standard, let's all just agree to it. We only need about 500 years to come up with the definition though. Okay? Here's another one, a point ahead of Christianity. An official spokesperson place more of an emphasis on service and move beyond just talking. Focus on smaller groups, moving away from topical studies where we're using scripture just kind of to support our point. 
maybe more in-depth study of the word itself, how it, how it reads in context, letting the word speak to us that way instead of just as somebody's proof text or footnotes to what they want to say. Teach all of what Jesus had to say, not just the parts about salvation. Become a church that knows its history and knows what it believes. I think that came out of the sense of frustration that we don't really know anything about our history. We just know what our pastor has told us. And that's about the depth of most of our knowledge about Christianity. Like we've ignored about 2,000 years of scholarship that's come before us. And just kind of think of today's version, and we're not even sure that they're telling it to us right. Teach an understanding of the whole gospel. The whole gospel. I should underline the word whole. Because some of us think the gospel really is limited to, this kind of goes up with the comment above it, just to salvation. But really, the gospel is much broader than that. Salvation is definitely its core element, its central point, but it's a, it's a whole gospel of reaching out to the whole world. I think this comment would be one that would talk about God is the God of the sacred and the secular. Take out all politics. Governmental politics, internal church politics. They don't belong in church. Okay? It'd be nice, but you'd have to take out all the people. <laughs> you'd be like, no people in your church. <laughs> Allow the church's actions to be its official spokesperson. Focus on improving the way that Christians treat one another within the church and within relationships among Christians. That's big. Yeah, we're going to come back to that theme, I think, tonight a number of times. Make the church more comfortable for newcomers. And finally... Create an environment where the church can confess to one another, a church that is not judged so that sin is not swept under the rug. That's what you guys came up with. So the place where we're going tonight is the same question was kind of asked to a bunch of non-Christians. And I'd like you to hear some of their responses. What do they think the church should be like? Some of these people come from Dan Kimball's book. I'm going to read some of the quotes. And again, in a listening posture, check out what they had to say. Number one. I wish church were not just a sermon or a lecture, but a discussion. That was the number one most frequently cited. Some of you cited that pretty high last week when we talked about it. So it seems like it resonates both inside and outside the church. Here's one comment. Teaching in church is totally important. But not just having the pastor beat into our heads what he personally believes from up on a stage, and everyone just has to accept that. I definitely would want to be challenged, but in a way that honors and respects what I believe, too. I would want the forum to be able to talk back and discuss what they are saying and ask questions. But in churches where I've been to, there isn't an opportunity for this. It's more of a pastor preaching, speaking to you, and you just have to sit there and listen. Another person said this, I'd like church to be more like when you go to a philosophy meeting where people can dialogue and intelligently grapple with scripture texts together. Not just sit there for an hour listening to one person telling like-minded people, what they want to hear without questioning or talking about it. Those are some views from different people. I like this one too. If I were to go to church, I wouldn't want it to be where one person did all the talking and teaching, but more of a rotation. So one person doesn't become a superstar in the eyes of somebody else. The teacher or leader should be a servant, not somebody who gets all the status for being on a stage. I think there should be an intellectual look at the Bible and definitely some teaching but also a lot of time for open questions and discussion. That's why I think that meetings should be smaller. Every once in a while, a big meeting is cool, but not the norm. So number one, kind of
kind of comment that kept coming back. Number two, I wish the church would respect my intelligence. What kind of intelligence were they talking about? Well, probably a lot in line with what we just heard about people wanting to discuss and go back and forth, but also to go a little bit deeper into scripture sometimes. Now this is going to vary depending on the church you go to, obviously. The comment that came out of this one, for example, just as the example cited with this comment was this one girl who left church in her early 20s because she grew out of it. That was the statement she made. I grew out of church. Well, how can you grow out of church? Seems like there should be something there for you. This was her experience. She said that the teaching was repeated every three or four years, perhaps with a different name for the series, but pretty much the same thing, just repackaged. She said that the lyrics to most of the songs were akin to teenage romantic crush songs than more like worshiping God's transcendence and majesty. She explained that the music and the projection of the lyrics on the screen came across like a Disney children's video, and she almost expected to see a bouncing ball above the words to help people with the songs. She was bothered by the preacher's simplistic outlines and how most of the time he ignored problem passages and controversial issues. It was all exciting as a teenager, but then she seemed to outgrow what the church had to offer her. Yeah. I like the bouncing ball idea, though, you know? That'd be so great. Like, I, there's so many people in our churches who just can't keep up with those things, you know? If we just had the bouncing ball, we'd all be in, oh, it's great. Here's another one. If I were to go to church, I would want it to be going into the culture, the history, and the social constructs of the day, so that we could understand the meaning of the biblical writers all the better. I'd like the church to respect my intelligence and be challenging my thinking and allowing me to wrestle with what the teacher has to say, sharing my disagreements if I had some, and to have the ability to ask questions. Remember, these are people who are not in churches. Number three, I wish the church weren't about the church building. And I think we have to think about this one for a moment, because I'm going to kind of come back to this one later. I wish it weren't about the church building. You know, when we do evangelism efforts, a lot of times we don't know what to do. So we simplified evangelism somewhere in the 60s and 70s, well before most of you were born. And the evangelism efforts we created were something like this. You get them to go to church, and we'll get them over the line. So we hired these like professional pastor types who were going like, to really just whip it into them, but your job was to bring them in. So we started telling people, invite them to go to church. Get them to go to church. We started thinking of church as a place. Now, this isn't unique to our time. Because throughout the centuries, churches have been places. But I don't think the church was ever intended to be a place, a building. Who is the church? We are. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body. The church isn't a building. But we started thinking of it that way. So when we talk about getting people to go to church, we're immediately thinking of a location and a building instead of the fact that you're the church. And they're already at church if they're interacting with you in any way. We don't get that sometimes. Some comments about that. Make a gathering like a roundtable discussion. An uplifting motivational dialogue. Meet in people's homes, in coffee shops, places vibrant and alive. I'd like to meet with about 20 people in a bar. <laughs> Drink a few pints and discuss the Bible. Some of you guys are ready. You feel called by the Lord already to lead this Bible study, right? <laughs> Especially when I said, drink a few pints. 
sinners. <laughs> Where's that part about judgmental again? <laughs> that would be a church I would go to. Make it a discussion. What do you understand of this paragraph from the Bible? What does it mean to you? Make church a book club with a soul. Here's another person, different person. I wish church were not always about being in the church building. It seems the church wants us to always come to them, but they don't want to come to us. Why don't meet me here, like in this coffee house where we're at? It would be more conducive for discussion here than in some church building. Why not meet in a dance studio? Why not meet in a bar? Didn't Jesus meet with people in all kinds of places? That's what people would like you to know. Number four, I wish church were less programmed and allowed time to think and pray. I think a lot of us might actually resonate with that one. I think a lot of us would like time to have less programming and more time for authentic time for prayer. But notice that non-Christians identified that from their observation of what churches did. I wish church were a loving place. Ouch. Don't we? I mean, we've seen it. We wish it were a loving place. We spent a couple of weeks talking about the places where it's not a loving place. I would think we wish it were. So we'd say amen to that. Only catch yourselves on this, and myself included, we are the church. It's up to us to be loving. This isn't like, yes, let's wait for it to become loving. That's our job. Number six, I wish the church cared for the poor and for the environment. You know, it's funny, there, there's a lot of people who don't know much about theology, maybe much about Paul's writings, but they do know a lot about what Jesus said about some things. Like, they do know what Jesus said about the poor. They do know what Jesus said about serving the needs of those who don't have anything. About clothing, feeding, healing, loving. They seem to get that really clearly, sometimes more clearly than we do. They're going to hold us to that account. Lastly, I wish the church taught more about Jesus. How many of our churches don't? I mean, maybe we've just assumed that they do. One of the great things that reading through the book Jim and Casper Go to Church, which if you guys have forgotten the premise of that, Jim is the Christian, Casper is the atheist. They team up and they go to some of the biggest churches in America, the most notable ones, and they just take notes and they write down what they see from their two perspectives and they write the book together. And Casper, the non-Christian, takes special note of the churches that don't even mention Jesus when he's there or seem to talk about lots of other stuff because that seems to matter to him. That's probably why Dan Kimball's book is called They Like Jesus But Not the Church because people are genuinely interested in what Jesus had to say, but it seems like as the church, we've obscured it with so many other things. Let's talk about Jim and Casper Go to Church. It was one of the books that we read through. Just talk about a couple comments from it. I'd like to show you again more. This is going to be Casper's comments about what the churches were that he visited. Again, in our listening posture, listen to what he has to say. The biggest question in the book is this one that he asked that really seemed to Jim capsulize their whole time together. Casper's question was, is this what Jesus wanted you to do? Every church he went to, he would ask the same question. So is this what Jesus wanted you to do? Now, they went to some large churches, they went to some smaller churches, but he just kept asking, okay, so we just saw this church service, we did this thing together, is this what Jesus wanted you to do? Think about that in your Sunday morning experience, whether it's today or the last time you went to church. 
any church, and ask yourself that question, is this what Jesus wanted us to do? I'm not saying that he would be mad that we were worshiping or doing whatever we do in a Sunday morning service, but I'm, just, I'm sure it's not all he wanted us to do. And for some of us, I'm not even sure if we really looked at it that it's what he wanted us to do even over other things. Some of Casper's comments. Here's a church he liked. Give you some examples. He liked the bridge in Portland, Oregon. Why? He said the music was authentic. Sermon was discussion-based. Congregation was really participating. The church was working hard in the community. He saw their efforts everywhere else where they were. He thought that they were identical to all the other churches. They had the same kind of format, like worship, reading, collecting offerings, a sermon. But he said it was the way we went through that process, the energy, the honesty that made it exceptional. This was the church he rated the highest among all the churches they visited. Here's another one that he liked. Longdale Community Church in Chicago. He said that this church put the community in community church. They operated their own health center, their own Hope House. They even had a pizzeria right in the same neighborhood where the church was. And the church was just a building. You couldn't even tell it was a church. It just looked like it fit into this industrial street. And they primarily ministered to a working class group in Chicago. Great music, people sharing personal stories. He made note of that personal stories mattered a lot to him. A sermon by someone called Coach Gordon, who was their senior pastor, but wouldn't take that title. He just referred to him as the coach, helping people through their life. No big stage, no spotlights. His quote, as far as I can tell, remember, not a Christian. As far as I can tell, Jesus' message was not build large churches, get into politics, get on TV, get rich. Rather, do as I do, love God, love your brother. That sums it up, doesn't it? Here's a church he didn't like. Lakewood Church. Some of you know it as Joel Osteen's church. I'm just going to quote him so that I'm not throwing stones. Here's his quote. Based on my limited knowledge of the things Jesus called people to do, Lakewood is not really following the teachings of Jesus. It's not about the show for me, though the show is impressive. Fog machines, camera cranes, dancing chorus of 100. Well, Nick, you'd like that, dancing chorus. <laughs> Lights, camera, action. It's about whether or not these people who profess these beliefs are practicing them or simply profiting from them. And profit was the thing at Lakewood. As far as I could tell, the profit was everywhere, in the facility, the bookstore, the products, the glitz, the staging, the giant screens, the waterfalls. Joel Osteen is a good public speaker, but so what? He rarely mentions the word Jesus, and instead he serves up platitudes about not being moody, about being positive. Did he train by reading the Bible or on the chorus line of up with people? It's a harsh criticism. Remember, somebody who's an outsider who's touring all the churches, something we haven't even gotten a chance to do, which, by the way, gave me a great idea. Wouldn't it be great if we started touring some churches and checking them out? That'd be like a great idea for Sunday morning for those of you who just sleep in, got nothing else to do. Let's form a little club and start going around churches. I think it's a great idea. Willow Creek, one of the most famous, again, churches in America. Here's his quote. They have a lake outside where they'll baptize as many as 300 over the course of one day-long event. The lead pastor knows Bono. The band even sang a U2 song. They have a cafeteria that serves at least four different kinds of Chinese, or cuisine, sorry, four different kinds of cuisine, salad bar, Tex-Mex, pizza, stir-fry. Notice he wrote them down. Their auditorium holds 7,500 people. They even mentioned this guy Jesus a couple of times, usually urging us to just follow him, but not really saying, 
what that meant. I'll be straight. I don't understand megachurches. All this money, and for what? Would Jesus have invested money in a waterfall? Or a stir-fry station? Or a Vegas-worthy band? It just doesn't make sense to me. Now, remember, this is one person. It's like one person's view, so we can't base everything on one person. Those earlier views, those seven points that were based on a number of interviews, a lot more people, okay? And they seem pretty consistent with what they wanted. All right, so what are we going to do? Let me give you some cautions first I think are fair. Number one, we cannot as a church change everything about the church just to please somebody who doesn't like it. So everything I just read, some of you might find valid, some of you might find invalid. That's not the test. The test isn't to conform to what society wants right now today. But the reason all of this research and the reason this whole series that we did is because oftentimes people who are outside of it have a much clearer picture of the places where we're missing the point. As we've said before, they're not drinking the Kool-Aid. So they can see the places where we've kind of gone off the rails a little bit, much easier. I've already talked about this. We need to be finding ways to be the church and not just talking about going to church. Most of the comments you heard were kind of still people describing what the church was going to be, a worship service, a place, a gathering. And of course, they don't get the idea that really we should be the church, not create a church or go to church. But the thing that disturbs me the most is we don't get it either. We need to really dwell on this point about being the church. I just want you to let that just kind of sink in. What does it mean for us to be the church? The church traditionally focuses on believing and then belonging. How do we do that? In our evangelism efforts, we go out, we get people to say the prayer or whatever it is. We invite people, they come in, they to go to a rally, they believe, they announce they're a Christian. Whatever it is, they're in the club now. Now they belong. And then we work on them the rest of the way to try to do the other things that come later. We're not good at those, but that's the idea. But your generation prefers to belong first, to see if it works, to check it out, and then if it really holds true, to believe. The church isn't comfortable with that model yet. We don't know what to do with people who show up. Like, we're great. Like, you know, and like, I think about this too. Like, even at our own churches, like on Sunday morning, when I'm greeting people like, hey, welcome. We're glad to think that there's visitors here today. I'm like, what kind of visitor am I thinking? Like, somebody who's just showing up to the church, like we can hook them? Like, we can grow our number? Like, what am I thinking when I think, oh, great, there might be visitors here. Let's welcome them. Am I thinking about a person who's like, I don't want to be part of this yet. I mean, I'm, I want to hang out. I want to hang out for a year or two. I don't even believe in God, but I just want to listen for a long time. Are we comfortable with that? I mean, in this group, of course you are, because this is a value of your generation. Yeah, people can hang and belong and, 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 and get to know it. But churches are not built well that way. They don't want to do with people who are kind of there watching. Like, are you in? Are you in? Are you in? And after a while, they just go, oh, he's not in. I don't know. He's recalcitrant. Maybe we just move on. We have to get better at that. And here's another caution that I really want to throw out lest we get too critical. God uses a wide variety of churches to reach people. And I'm reminded of this in humility because for one person like Casper who goes to a, a, a Lakewood or a Saddleback or a Willow Creek and thinks this is just a big glitzy show, well, there's like thousands of people at those churches that have come to Christ. So we got one person who thinks there's no way, this totally turns me off. And maybe that's 
him and his generation, and that's going to be the future. But God uses a wide variety of ways to bring people to him. So I don't think that there's one model that's going to work for everybody. Some of those comments where I read where I'm like, I'd like to sit around in a bar or a dance studio or a club and talk about God. Some of you are like, yes, and I'd love to lead that group. And other people will be like, I feel very uncomfortable being there. Some people think that our churches have gotten too loose and they want to go back to more of a tradition and a respect for the ritual that came before us. No one size fits all. Here's another caution lest we become too haughty. Not doing church right is not anything new. As I look back across church history, I don't know that we've ever done church right. I mean, if you think, what, the medieval church, that was church done right, where like nobody could read except the guy in Latin and then he was just telling them? Like the, the rise of the Catholic Church in Europe and all that stuff where they were like practicing monarchies and kingships, that was right? Like the Reformation, the people killing the Baptists, the Anabaptists, all that, that was right? Like when was it ever right? And yet, somehow people keep coming to Christ and the church keeps growing. You're proof of it. The churches that we've criticized in here is you're the product of them. You're here by the grace of God. You're here. I don't know how. I don't know how I'm here. I mean, I came from like a, a mom from an Orthodox Christian background and a dad from a non-practicing Roman Catholic background, and I'm here. And so are you. So before we get too prideful about knowing how to improve the church, yes. It constantly needs to strive to be the best it can be for Christ. But somehow God is bigger than all of our efforts. Here's one verse just to remind you of briefly. John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. It's still the Holy Spirit who's directing behind all the scenes here and causing and bringing people and pointing them to Christ. It's not whether you have discussion groups or whether you go to churches with waterfalls. It's still the Holy Spirit who's acting. Okay, that aside though, the problem for Christianity is getting tougher. That's why we did this series. Because more and more people find that we have become an obstacle to them getting to know Jesus. It's going to be up to us, one-on-one, -on -one, to counteract that. I wish we could do a church-wide effort, but I think it comes down to a one-on-one -on -one effort. And I've said before why it's so difficult for us to do a church-wide effort, because I don't think we could ever get anybody in the entire church to agree on any one direction. We saw that from the very beginning of this series. But can we do something? Sure. Here's what we can do individually. And this is where I pray especially that we would have ears to hear, because this is the part where all of the preceding six weeks of study and discussion and debate and joking around about other practices and some sorrow over our own now maybe means we've got to do something about it. Otherwise, why did we learn all this stuff? It'd be in vain. Here's some things I think we can do. I think number one, we need to learn to respond to criticism the way Jesus did. Some of the criticism that we've heard is pretty harsh. I've heard different feedback from you guys. Some of you are like, why bother? It's overwhelming, we'll never fix it. I don't think that's how Jesus would command his disciples. Some of us have wanted to respond harshly to the criticism. I don't think that's how Jesus would respond either, except sometimes to religious leaders. But most of the time when Jesus heard criticism, he was really trying to get at what's really underlying this right here. What's the real problem? What's the root? If somebody posed a question to him that was tough, that was challenging his practice on something, 
he met that question where it was. He was really trying to understand, what's your real problem? And Jesus had compassion even when people rejected the message. You remember that when the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, what do I have to do? And he tells him, sell everything you have. When the rich young ruler turned around, Jesus was saddened by watching this person go. He didn't just turn around and go, well, forget you. Keep that in mind as we take criticism on. Number two, you guys have highlighted this over and over. Relationships are everything. They were everything to Jesus. His relationships were very important with his disciples, with the people he met and he interacted with. The people that he invited said, today, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house to have dinner. Those kinds of relationships that were intimate. With a tax collector, today I'm going to be with you, like Matthew. That's how he ministered best. Sure, he taught. And sure, he performed miracles. We have a lot of recorded interaction of his relationships. Now, for us, relationships are key. You guys are a relational generation. That's what I keep reading. High value on relationships. So the good news is, it turns out that one-on-one -on -one relationships can actually undo some of this negative Christian perception that we have. That's the good news. The bad news, it doesn't happen very often. So this is the best course of action, but it's no guarantee. Next one, love one another in the church. Until we learn to love one another in the church, I don't think we're ever going to get past this one. People are looking at us. Some of you right now are going to be tempted to look at this one and go, yeah, that's obvious. But you know what? Until we learn to love one another in the church, we're never going to have a chance to reach anybody outside the church. And I'm not just talking about people being judgmental and dividing and splintering. That's definitely bad. But until we learn to have this kind of loving relationship in the church to love one another in real, the way that we advertise that we are loved by God, he loves us and the church loves each other, until that's real, everyone on the outside looks at it and calls it for what it is, BS. So if you hear one thing tonight, if we could just model this, I think this is probably the most tangible thing we can do. If you read the book of Acts, how did the church grow in the book of Acts? Anyone remember? They sold everything. And no one had any need. They shared everything. They lived together. And they loved one another and met all of their needs together. And there was numbers added to them daily as a result. It's that contagious part. And I think as Morgan pointed out like two weeks ago, we're back at that kind of church again. We're, not, we're no longer like the center of the culture type church. Like We're back at the margins, just like that church was. And if we expect to continue to grow or slow our decline, one of the things we've got to do is go back to the thing that sparked us in the first place, which coincidentally happens to be the way Jesus wanted us to live anyway. Serve others and develop compassion for others. I don't want this to be just something where you're just listening to this and forgetting about it. Here's what I want you to take with you today. And I apologize that today is l much less interactive than we usually are, and you're more in a listening posture today. But take one of these, and this is a self-study for you. Even if you do nothing more than read this, I want you to skim through it. Just verses on serving others and having an outward focus, compassion and service for others. 
On the back of it, there's some accountability questions too. And you'll notice that I made little check boxes. <laughs> so that if you felt like it, you could actually take one of these and read one of them a night. You could do all of them. You could ask yourself those questions. You could check them off as you deal with them, as you think about them, as you process them. Here's why I did this. A lot of times when we come to the conclusion of a series, there's this piece that sometimes feels like it's missing. We've done so much talking, we've done so much discussion and debating, and we're trying to wrap it up and come into something that means, puts meaning at the end of it. And a lot of us are like, but what can I do? Like, what can we do about it now? Like, what action steps do we take? So a couple of them right here on the screen, like fostering those relationships, realizing that God is the God, and he's the one who's going to call the people, but it's still our job to be in a relationship with him, that we need to work on this love for one another. And if you think, well, who are we? Like, look at this group right here. It could start here. An increase of love, the likes of which hasn't been seen in our churches for a while. Let's do it here. This is our group. You have ownership of this. This is your community. We have communion with the Lord here. And then focusing on serving others. And I want you, in case you don't think there's much of a case for that, I want you to look at this and the accountability questions too because they're meant to trigger some of those questions that prompt us to want to serve more. Some of us are not serving. Some of us are serving a little bit. Some of us are serving a lot. But all of us, no matter where you are on that spectrum, could be doing more. Again, think of the model of that Acts church. They sold everything. They laid it to the disciples' feet. They met everybody's needs in their own community and those that are around them. We're not doing that. So that just means to me that there's more that we can do. I'm not advocating yet that we sell all our possessions and move to the mountains. Not yet. Hold off. So I'm not going that far. I'm not getting crazy on you. But clearly where we are over here and where they were, there's a, there's a lot of room for us to move. Some of us could be doing a lot more. And I want to challenge some of you. Maybe in what you're doing, even for work. Maybe in what you're doing, even in schooling, whatever it is. I've told you before, being a productive member of the kingdom sometimes means like taking on extra stuff so that you can meet more needs. Some of you are like, I don't know, I don't have much money to be given. Like, work a few more hours. Spend a little bit less money. We've talked about all those different ways for us to meet tangible needs. What else can we do? Live missional lives is a big statement. And by the way, so I give credit where credit is due. A lot of these what can we do comments are taken from both David Kinneman's book and Dan Kimball's book in terms of suggestions that they've made after doing all their research. Live missional lives. What does that mean? Anybody got a definition for that? Right. Another word the church invented that means nothing. Like we don't have enough Christianese, we have to add the word missional in the mix. So let me correct this for you. How about that? Living missionally means, in my definition, like cut to the chase. Let's just talk about what it really means. It means live like you're a long-term missionary in your immediate world right now. That's what I believe it means. All right? Some of you are like taking a bunch of church classes might disagree, but that's what it means to me. And I underline the word long-term missionary because some of us are like short-term missionaries. What that means is like we engage with the relationship with somebody long enough to find out if they're going to be a Christian or not, and we need to just run. That's not the goal. People feel used, abused, and they should feel that way. We are not supposed to engage in relationships just to convert people. In fact, one of the great stories in the section on us being too overly concerned with converting people was about a guy, he was in New York, 
He was there for the first time. He was new. He didn't know anybody. And he met a really friendly guy on the street. And the guy said, hey, would you like to go out and have dinner with me sometime? And the guy's like, wow, I'm in New York. I can't believe anybody's this friendly. So he said, sure, let's exchange numbers. So they exchanged numbers. The guy called him like a couple days later and said, why don't you come have dinner with me? We're going to a Bible study. It's like a thing like that. And he goes, oh, well, I don't know about a Bible study. I mean, I'd like to have dinner with you, but I don't know if I'm ready to go to a Bible study. And then he never heard from the guy again. Isn't that cheap? What are you going to call it? Insincere? Disingenuine? person feels like a product, like a, what is that? But if you live missionally, if you live like you are a long-term missionary in your community, you would realize a couple things. First, it's not a Christian nation like we've said a number of times anymore. There are a lot of people who don't care, and you need to adopt a totally different idea about who you are. You are the embodiment of Christ's hands and feet in the world, serving others, loving others, doing the things that he would do. You would learn the language, learn the culture, learn about other religions. Just like you were, if I just dropped you right now in a foreign country and said, you're a missionary over there. Guess what? You're a missionary here. A long-term missionary. One that expected to spend lots of time learning about the people they served. Learning about the customs, the cultures, the language, everything. Except, guess what? You're already here. It's all around you. You might know some of it already. And I know a lot of you in this room fit this already. Because every time we talked about how many people are in your lives that don't know the Lord that you're still in a relationship with, a lot of you raise your hands. And that's one value in this group that I like. You know, that a lot of the stuff we're talking about doesn't always apply to us. That's great. Let's work on the stuff that does. Another comment that was made is we need to learn to take apologetics beyond simple proofs that just appeal to believers. What is apologetics? Another fancy church word? It's really a defense of our faith. But a lot of the apologetics we know, the ways that we know to defend our faith, are basically been designed to just help Christians feel good about their own faith. They crumble when they meet people of other faiths. Because they ask questions that aren't in our little books. Because the answers that we give ring hollow to them. And it's time for us to really spend time dialoguing with people. That's a different type of apologetic. Listening to both sides. Having conversations where the end of the conversation isn't, well, this is how it is. The end of the conversation is more like, oh, I never thought of that. And that's you saying that. Wow, that's, yeah, that's a good point. I'd like to spend more time thinking about that. Could we talk about this some more? Yeah, that, that is something that I think you should get an answer to. And being more honest in our dialogue with people. Our apologetics are like, they ask the question, you're like, blah, 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 blah. you just start like, giving them the answer. The answers were written for like, people in the 1950s. Finally, the last comment. Consider an apology along with your apologetics, some people have suggested. When you talk to people about being a Christian, as we said during one of our talks, you're already assigned a bunch of baggage that goes with it. Some of those things are what we saw on those lists. Anti-homosexual, hypocritical, judgmental, all the way down. All those negative attitudes that were automatically assigned to you. There was a CNN report just, uh, I don't know, maybe it was about a year ago, but they have the, the YouTube video and I was watching it where they were interviewing one of the authors of UnChristian. And it was most interesting the way they presented the beginning of the interview. Because they asked him point blank, like, so, 
Isn't it true that some Christians today in America are afraid to admit that they're Christians because they might be labeled in a certain way? And he said, yes, that's absolutely true. That was the whole premise of the CNN interview. Like if you looked at the bottom of the screen where they usually write the text down there, it said Christians afraid of admitting it. You know? And that was what the report was about. Like some Christians are going undercover because they're afraid of the negative taint. So some people have actually said, you know what, the best way to start a conversation when it turns into faith is to say, you know what, I apologize for many of the things that have been done in the name of Christianity. I want to talk to you about it if you want to talk about it. Say that there's a lot of things that have been done that I don't agree with. That may be one way to start the conversation. Here's some further study for you if you want. I know some of you read a couple of the books we read. One of them is Following Jesus Without Embarrassing God by Tony Campolo. Um, I like this book because it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but he has some really interesting things. Like here's some of the chapters from the book just to give you an idea what's in it. How to be rich and still be a Christian. How to exhibit a Christian lifestyle without moving to a commune. How to talk about prayer without saying things that make God look bad. How to have a devotional life without becoming a monk. Uh, how to look forward to Jesus' returns without becoming a date setter. I love that one, you know. Because <laughs> they're sign carriers and their close, close cousins are date setters. They're right next to them. How to figure out God's will without hearing voices from heaven. How to be a theologian without being an intellectual snob. And how to be an environmentalist without becoming a tree hugger. Just some of the chapters you'll find. So clearly the point of the book is how do you live this Christian life without doing all these things that end up embarrassing God, quote unquote, or really what he's saying is turning off people or giving the wrong impression about the God that we serve. And they're very balanced because they do seek spiritual formation, which is what we talked about last week, but at the same time kind of saying like, hey, you can, you can look forward to Jesus' return without becoming a date setter. You, know, you can do that. It's possible. If you have nothing else to read for the summer and want to read 600 pages of nonfiction, here's a recommendation. How Now Shall We Live by Chuck Colson and Nancy Piercy. I haven't actually read this book. It's recommended by David Kinnaman. I have actually, it's on my list to read. I've heard some great things about it. I've heard some people kind of saying, eh, it's okay. But here's what the point of the book is. Last week, a number of you pointed out that the gospel is not just about salvation. It's about a whole approach to reconciliation with the whole world. This book is about that. 600 pages of it. Some of it strays off the topic a little bit, I've heard. But that overall, it's trying to cover that whole span of what is a holistic gospel to the current postmodern culture we live in. So I can't give it the highest endorsement because I haven't actually read this one. Unlike the other one, Following Jesus, I am reading through and I'm almost finished with. But this one, it's on, I don't want to say it's on my summer reading list. It might make it to the fall reading list. 600, I think it's like, well, given the fact that we read so many books for these series, it keeps getting bumped, you know, but especially when I look at it, like 650, I think it's like 650 pages, you know, like, but anyway, for people who, who want to go further in this one area of just how do I live better in a holistic sense to become those things. Okay. Let's wrap it up. One of the hardest things for me when we close out any series is tonight's job. It's fun in here when we interact and we debate and we discuss. I love that energy so much more than trying to tie up all the ends into one night like we do now. Even harder than that for me whenever we close a series is this question. 
What do we do now with a series that we just finished? We just move on? You know that our next series is going to be analyzing different religious experiences around the world, like world religions. And it comes out of Morgan's challenge that we, as Christians, can't even engage in dialogue with other people because we don't know anything about their religions. So we are going to embark on the, probably the rest of the summer just going through different religions. The hard part for me is, now what? We spent seven weeks really shaking our church down to its core and discovering some difficult things about ourselves and our church. Are we done? It can't be. No, that doesn't mean that there'll be a week eight of this series, you know. It doesn't mean that we'll be coming back to this constantly in this much intensity. But we can't let this go any more than we can let go any of the series that we do. We've learned a bad habit, and that is that just we take a little bit of knowledge, delve into it in depth, and I mean like all of us, like in our schooling, and our churches, everywhere, we take this knowledge, and when we're done with the series, we go, wow, that was great. We clap our hands, we put it aside, we never look at it again. We don't do that in this group. That's why all of our talks are available for you to go back and listen to them again, even the ones we've done in years past. Because we have to keep referring to them. We have to keep refreshing our memory of this. Because to have done all this work and then forget it, we've wasted our time. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Go through the lists that are in front of you. Spend time with the Lord and read through those passages and check yourself on where you are in serving others' compassion and your efforts. Do something else. Flip the page over and go through those accountability questions. Not all at once. Over the course of a couple of weeks or five weeks or take one per week and dwell on it the whole week so that this doesn't die tonight. Don't forget anything we talked about in here. That's easy for me to say. It's very hard for us to do. But I'm going to keep bringing it up about loving each other, about doing the things that serve other people, about looking for places that we can be the church instead of just going to a church. All of those things we need to continue doing. We're not done. Until the church becomes what it's supposed to be, this subject will never be done. Unfortunately, we just can't wait that long and stay on this series. We'll be here for a long time. Let's pray and close up. We're going to do one last worship song, and then we're going to send Morgan off. So let's do, uh, let's pray. Lord, in your presence, we ask that you would supernaturally seal the things that are of you into our minds that you would peel away the things that come from our own design, from our own pride, from our own motivations, and that we would cling to the things that are purely of your spirit. Lord, we have a tendency the minute this is done to begin to forget everything that's been put in front of us, all the emotions that we've gone through, all the things that we've learned, all the hearts that we've gained for other people. Spirit, I ask that that not be the case. You are the one that guides us to truth. You are the one that builds the church, calls people, convicts them. So do that for us in the places that we need it. Help us to grow, spur us on. Lord, we want to be your disciples. We want to follow you. And we want to invite other people to follow you. Thank you for everything that we've learned. Thank you for all the minds that have worked in here. Thank you for all the comments that you have inspired, Lord. I pray that we come together and continue to live out love in this community. Pray this in your name. Amen.